right. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you here this morning on a soggy Richmond morning. It's great to be here. Thanks for following us online. If you guys are watching online, hello to you all. Um, I'm kind of excited. I was thinking about this week, and I was like, you know what? It actually occurred to me that a year ago, we were uh, on a plane headed here, you know, to Richmond. So that, that was crazy. So I just want to say thank you to the Hope community for inviting us and uh, welcoming our family in uh, to this community. It's been wonderful to be here. Uh, so we have a lot to do and discuss this morning. So I'm excited about that. So I'm going to pray and then we'll jump right into it. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of being together uh, this morning. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, I want to tell you about two conversations that I've had um, that have been popping for me. One happened about nine years ago. Uh, I was a part of a basketball camp in a little southern Bohemia town in the Czech Republic, just south of Prague. Uh, A little church was putting on a basketball camp for a bunch of little kids, and it was an evangelistic camp. And uh, an American team was coming over to partner with that camp, and I got to be a part of it, which was fantastic. But my role specifically was to lead spiritual discussions. But it wasn't for the little kids. We actually, you know, on the mission field, you kind of do what you can do. Uh, with whoever's available, and there was a group of guys uh, that were actually city basketball players. Most of them didn't believe in God, were atheists, probably from ages 17 to 20 or so, and there was a big group of them, and we're like, hey, we need some camp trainers. You want to come and help us with this camp? And so, yeah, they said, sure. So we had a group of guys that were coming uh, for this evangelistic camp, that we're going to be helping us do what we do with the little kids. Um, but my job was actually to hang out with them during the lunchtime. So when the little kids were going to eat lunch, we would go somewhere else, and I had the privilege of leading uh, spiritual discussions uh, and uh, hanging out with those guys and getting down to the things that really matter, conversations that re- they really didn't get a chance to talk about in any, any other place in their culture. And it was a fun time. It was a full week Uh, And I remember leaving one of those nights, uh, walking into town on my way back home, and in the square I found one of the guys. I just saw him across the way, Hansa, and I was like, Hansa, man, what's going on? How you doing? And so we had to start having this conversation. And I was thinking, I wonder what's going on, like what's stirring for them. We've been having these conversations. So I said, Hansa, like I'm curious, what's happening? Uh, What are you thinking about God and faith and things like that? And his reply was kind of shocking. He said to me as he looked kind of point blank and was like, "Um, my family's not, we don't think that way. I've never thought about that. It's never occurred to me. And I'm like, wait, okay, but yeah, but what about you? And and I'm, I'm trying to have a conversation, and I was shocked. It was like he was saying, I was saying to him, hey, God loves you. Um, do you know about God? Let's talk about this. And he's saying, God who? Completely missed. It was a little disorienting, to tell you the truth. I was like, okay, whoa, uh, I have to find a different common ground here to start talking. Second conversation. It was actually a year ago. 
as I mentioned, we were on a plane somewhere in Germany, loading a plane somewhere in Germany and flying to Richmond. Actually, we were flying to New Jersey because you, know, you can't. It's an international airport, right? But, <laughs> right. But not if you're coming internationally. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how that works. Anyway, we are in Germany and we're flying over, and I think we're flying to New Jersey. Okay, we're flying to New Jersey. And uh, we're in line and we're, we're talking up a little bit and kind of met this young man, probably 20 years old, from New Jersey, and he was going back home. Uh, and so that was fun. And we aboard the plane, and my wife and I sat down. Uh, and he was sitting right next to us. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Let's, let's have a conversation. Let's talk a little bit. Um, and actually, I'm actually more introverted. My wife was actually more extroverted, leading the conversation, having all these questions. It was super, super fun. So I'm just kind of listening in and acting like I'm not paying attention. Uh, and so she's having this conversation, and he says, well, I was in uh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, I was at a school, a Hebrew school, uh, where we study Jewish tradition and uh, parts of the Torah, first five books of the, of the Old Testament. And all my ears perk up, and Amy's like, hey, did you hear that? Right? So I'm like, okay, yes, yes. Tell me more about that. And so we start talking. We have this conversation. I'm intrigued, of course. I want to hear all about this. Um, he's intrigued because he's like, who is this weird guy that's so familiar with the Bible and the Old Testament? Like, well, I, I don't run into people like this. So we're having a great t- conversation. And he mentions in this conversation that he doesn't really like going to this. He didn't like having to go there. He didn't like the rules. He wasn't just really, he wasn't sure about this whole thing anyway um, from his tradition and his family. And I was like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. And my wife says, well, hey, what do you think about Jesus? And he's like, oh, well, I don't really know a lot about Jesus, actually. I, I've heard he's a good teacher and all, but I, I, I don't really know a lot about him. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, let's talk about that. I'd be happy to talk about that. So we start talking about Jesus, start explaining like his life, his ministry, what he was teaching, and the tension that was surrounding his life. And he was like, oh, wow. And he's asking questions. And so I'm a- answering the questions. And then he's like, well, what happened next? And I was like, well, after three years or so, they actually crucified him. Jesus was put on a cross. And, there, and he was like, whoa. And I'm thinking, he doesn't know this? I mean, I'm not in Eastern Europe anymore. I'm talking to a guy from New Jersey. Like, he's a 20-year-old guy from New Jersey. Like, he's an American. Like, why does he not know this? I, I'm, I was actually shocked. I wasn't saying this out loud. So I'm like, okay, yeah. He actually died. He was crucified. And he's like, well, what happened? And I said, well, three days in the grave, he rose again. And he was like, whoa. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. (laughs) He's like, how did he do that? I'm like, oh my gosh. I can't believe I'm having this conversation. So I explain, like, hey, this is who Jesus was. And and God was showing that Jesus was the son of God. And he he was just amazed. And I was more amazed that I'm having this conversation and we're not on the same page, like that he doesn't know this. We, at the end of our conversation, we exchanged uh, information and I just like said, hey man, you should really consider looking into the Gospels and starting with that. And I uh, 
encouraged him, and, and he told my wife, he said, hey, uh, I don't know if I'm going to look into Jesus at all, but if I do, uh, I'll make sure I call you, I'll call your, your husband, Matthew, that's my name, he called me Matthew, uh, and I will make sure I follow him and learn everything I know about Jesus, to know about Jesus. And I was like, man, I hope you do. I hope you do. But these are two conversations from two different continents, both striking because it was disorienting for me. Our world has shifted. We've, I don't know if you felt that, distraction and shifting, that the common language, common morality, idea of right and wrong, all of these things have been turned upside down and we're moving to a place where things are being redefined. And the, the terrain is completely different than where we've been in the past. It can be quite distracting. So how do we hold our heads above the haze as a Christian church? That's the question I want to ask this morning. How do we not get lost in the fog? What is our posture as a Christian church in this changing climate? And how, as a church, do we remain faithful to what God has called us to? That's what I want to talk about today. Uh, And we're going to get there by talking about our seventh anchor. But before we get to the seventh anchor, I think we need a a little review because this is kind of like, you know, it's the end of the series. And for the third time that I've been able to preach, I'm closing the series I don't know how that happens. I just like look on the calendar like, oh, I'm the last one. Okay, so we're going to wrap it up uh, by actually reviewing a little bit. Our first anchor, maybe for some of you that have been with us for a while, do you remember what our first anchor was? Anyone? The first anchor? God. Yes. Sunday school answer. Thank you. Our first anchor was God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Who is he? Then we moved into the second acre, Jesus Christ, the full expression of God in the flesh. Then we went to anchor three, which was the Holy Spirit, his presence with us. What does that mean, presence and power with us today? Then we moved to number four, which was almost. That's what they said last. It was grace, redemption, and sin talking about that, those effects on our world and what does that mean for us as an anchor. Grace, redemption, and sin. Then we talked about the church. That was number five. God's presence through the bride of Christ, his unstoppable presence that's creating quite a mix all over the place and has been since its creation and in the southern part of our globe is exploding. It's exploding. It's quite fascinating. Last week, we talked about the, the certainty of Christ's return, that Jesus is coming back and the hope that that brings. That was number six. This week is kind of like all of those pa- packed up together, like reaching its boiling point, about to explode. It's the implication of this revelation and is a call to mission. Let's read Anchor 7. I'll read it for you. Here it is. The Lord Jesus Christ commands all believers to proclaim the gospel throughout the world and to make disciples of all nations. Obedience to the Great Commission requires total commitment 
to him who loved us and gave himself for us. He calls us to a life of self-denying love and service, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, or for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's our anchor this morning. But I feel like I have to have a little disclaimer. And that's because we're talking about mission, and you might be thinking, oh, no wonder you're the guy that's going to talk about this, right? You're the guy, those missionaries are crazy, they like sell the farm, you're the one that like just left everything, and you just went, right, into a foreign country without knowing the language and did crazy stuff. Like, of course you're the guy. And you might be thinking, that's not me, I'm never going to do that, and I don't want to do that. (laughs) Well, I don't blame you. I don't blame you at all. Matter of fact, uh, in my experience uh, around churches today, uh, missionaries are kind of placed on a pedestal, so to speak. The, the, the guys and the girls that kind of do those kind of things, and they're kind of set apart as special. Well, uh, there's a result or there's an effect, a negative effect, I think, of that kind of thinking. And the negative effect of that thinking is that we normal people, and I, me included, we miss the fact that God is calling us to be on mission right where we are, right here, right now. Instead, we leave it up to the pros, and we miss what God is calling us into. I hope this morning that that's not the case. We as a church need to give very careful attention, especially now in this unique time of history, to what God is calling us to and what he's doing right before our eyes. So, in our remaining time together, I am going to jump into, we together are going to jump into three scenes in the gospel. Three scenes, three passages of scripture that we're going to kind of just float through that hopefully help us see what it is that will help us lift our eyes off the distraction and keep our eyes focused on the mission at hand. And in order to do that, we're going to learn a Greek word. The Greek word is ido. Want to try to say that? Ido. Okay, good. I don't actually know if that's how you pronounce it because it's Koine Greek. You know, I didn't learn, like, you know, Koine Greek, nobody knows how to pronounce things because most people that knew it are already passed away. So it's, it's Greek, and you did a good job. I think it sounds great. I'm very convinced. The word ido means look. And in the passages that we're going to jump through, in the scenes that we're going to jump through, they're all commands. It's all in, a, in an imperative case, meaning look, or in some translations, it will say behold. Okay? So look for that as we jump into our first scene. Scene number one, John the Baptist in John chapter one. So if you have a Bible, if you're old school like me, you have a Bible, you can open that up to John chapter one. If you don't and you have your phone, just go to John one. And right there, what's happening is John the Baptist is on the scene. He's been baptizing. He's been calling people to repentance. And there's all kinds of characters there. There's religious people. There's uh, teachers of the law. There's outcasts of society. All everybody, there's kind of a stir. And in this situation, he's already baptized Jesus. So Jesus is on the scene, and John is starting to make a big deal about Jesus. He's starting to make a big deal about Jesus. And at that time, John also had disciples, people that were learning from John. So we're going to jump into this context. John 1, 
uh, verse 35, and jump into this conversation that John is having with his disciples. This is what it says. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. So here we get our first command from the Apostle John, from John the Baptist, and he's saying, Look, behold, Jesus, the Lamb of God. In another place, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, this kind of look is not one of, it's not a glance, like, hey, there's Jesus, look. But it's a looking, in a sense, to know, to draw close to. And that's implied in the, uh, in the passage here. The disciples actually begin to start following Jesus. They begin to start hanging out with him. Scripture says then that Jesus saw them and he says to them, what do you want? What are you seeking? Not an interesting question. Would you consider for a moment what they could have been seeking? What do we know about Israel at that time? Well, it was oppressed by the Roman Empire, right? They were under the rule of the Roman Empire. So it's possible that these young men could have been seeking the good of their country when they heard about the Messiah, the one that could free Israel, liberate them from their oppressors. Maybe they're thinking of political freedom, glory for the Jewish nation, Perhaps they're thinking, what can I get? Personal gain. If I'm, if I'm close to this Messiah figure, and he is the Messiah, what kind of power and authority could I have? In their zealousness and desire for change, it seems to me that they are seeking Jesus to get what they want from him. But that's very different than beholding him. That's very different. Several years ago, before I moved to the Czech Republic, I was serving as a youth worker, a youth pastor, and I had a chance to gather a team of young people and go to Ghana, Africa to serve uh, with some of the churches on the ground there and some ministries on the ground there doing ministry to kids and in different villages and things like that. And I don't know if you ever had a chance to do something like that, but man, it is fantastic to actually leave your culture and go and see what God's doing in another culture. Uh, so we get a chance to do that, bringing a bunch of kids to, the, to that place. And what we did was we packed up all of our stuff. And one thing I have learned from doing ministry in different parts of the world is the one thing that most people, even if they're not kids, love from America is candy. America understands how to do sugar really well, right? And we do it well. And so we knew that we needed to get 
candy because we were going to go work with kids for VBS. So we got a bunch of candy, and there was going to be one day that we get to go hang out with the kids and give them candy. And uh, three or four days into the VBS that we were doing, the time came. It was after lunch. Kids are running around out in the courtyard playing out outside, and I'm like, okay, guys, let's get some. So some, me, and the, me and some of the team members got each individual bags, and we start, like, walking out to the playground or the courtyard. And I'm thinking, oh, good, we're going to be able to give little candy to these little kids and, and say, hey, high five, how are you? We just are so thankful that you're here, you know. So I get out there with my bag of candy and give one, I give two, three seconds later, mop, boom, like right up on me. Like they're, they're pushing on me. They're grabbing at the bag. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? And like that, that, the moment was, oh, I'm so happy to be able to give candy to, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm going to be mobbed. Like they're going to hurt me, right? They're, they're grabbing the, at the bag. They're shredding. And soon I have no candy. Seriously, three, five seconds later, no candy in the bag. Kids are still coming to me. And I'm like, don't, I have no candy. And they're like, oh, my you know, upset and disappointed. They don't get candy and they're working. So I, I, I experienced the fame and the pleasure to the rejection all in like three seconds. And I was like, wow, that was crazy. But I was reflecting on that as we were flying home at the end of the week. And I was thinking, isn't that sometimes how I approach God as a means to an end? A means to my end. I think this is at the heart of Jesus' question. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? What am I seeking? In his book, Don't Hold Back, Pastor David Platt identifies this approach to God as an American gospel, where we often say, Come to God. And you'll get fill in the blank. He puts it this way. For far too long, we have traded the biblical gospel that exalts Jesus above everything in this world for an American gospel that prostitutes Jesus for the sake of comfort, power, politics, and prosperity in our country. The evidence is all around us. Instead of being eager to unite around the glory of Jesus, Christians are quick to divide over the idolatry of personal and political convictions. Wow. What are we seeking? I wonder what are the distractions that are pulling us and our eyes, even in a shifting culture, off of the glory of Jesus. Distractions today are numerous. But one thing they have in common. It's the pursuit of my glory over the pursuit of God's glory. I don't know if you felt that in your own life. I think this definition of the American gospel is revealing to the human heart. I mean, I am often drawn to pragmatism. How can I get the quick fix? How can I make things efficient and effective, even in my life and life pursuits? 
if morality and the good life to happiness means going to church, if, if keeping my kids away from bad things, character means bringing them to church, I'll come to church. I'll do all those things in pursuit of something that's not really Jesus, but it's what I'm after. I don't know if you've felt that in your own heart. I felt that in my own heart. What are we seeking? In all these situations, what can occur is we begin to use God as a means to the end, whatever that may be, good or bad. The result is that we seek to get stuff from God, but we miss Him. We miss God. So we look to behold other things. But what John is trying to get our attention to, what he's calling us to, is that Jesus, the Lamb of God, is more valuable and fulfilling than anything in this world and what this world has to offer. And beholding Jesus requires us to lay down all other pursuits for the joy of knowing him and glorifying him. And in doing so, The early church testifies to this. All of church history, people that have known and beheld Jesus, in doing so, the writer John, uh, the writer of the hymn, The Amazing Grace, a guy named John Newton, has said, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner and Christ is is a great savior. In doing so, we see the salvation and the closeness and the glory of Jesus more valuable than anything else that's worth pursuing. So these disciples, in this interaction with Jesus, they're into a first step with this first question. Come and see. Behold the Lamb of God. And Jesus, in turn, turns to them and says, invites them, come and see. Come and see. Come close to me. Come get to know me. I wonder if there's people in this room that have heard that invitation but still are holding off. If you've been invited by Jesus, come and see. Come and see who Jesus is. I encourage you to take those steps. John the apostle, John the baptizer is saying, look Behold the Lamb of God and begin a journey of knowing Jesus and start to be on mission with him. That's the first command. Look, behold the Lamb of God. But what happens when we start beholding Jesus, when he starts going up and being interesting in our lives? What happened in the lives of the disciples? What happens is we begin to start seeing things that he, Jesus, is seeing. So fast forward, four chapters over, maybe three, to John chapter four. We're jumping into another scene where we're going to find another, one of our other Greek words. The context is that Jesus is having a conversation in, an, in a situation with a woman uh, where he had to break ethical, religious not ethical, ethnic and religious and cultural boundaries. He's speaking to a woman in a place called Samaria. 
he's out of his zone. And the disciples are like, you're crazy that we're going here. But he's having a conversation with this lady. And his disciples say, well, we're going to go get something to eat. So his disciples aren't there. He's got lots more disciples this time. But now he's engaged with this conversation with this woman. And at the climax of the conversation, he reveals to her that he is the Messiah. And what's interesting is this woman replies and says, I am convinced and I'm going to my village to, sh- to, to tell everyone. So she, it's reported that she goes to her village and she says the very same words that we hear in John 1. Come and see about this man that has told me everything I've ever done. And the people in the village are like, yes, we want to hear about that. So they start coming to Jesus. And you see them, here they come. His disciples show up at the same time. And they have a conversation. Listen to this. This is John 4, verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So his disciples said to one another, Hey, did someone slip him a banana or something? Like, how did he get food? No. Has anyone bought him something to eat? They're totally confused. They have no idea what's going on. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do do you not say that there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. Disciples are clueless to what's happening. And there's two things that strike me in this. One, they are so concerned about the physical things in front of them. Anxiously worried, anxiety, fear. What are you concerned about? What's in front of your life right now? What's nipping at you? What's grabbing your attention? It's weighing them down. And for them, it's right in front of their face and they can't get out of it. Jesus, you need to eat. They're so concerned about the physical, physical, but Jesus instead is overwhelmed by the spiritual need in front of him. He says, and here's our command, Edo, look at the harvest right in front of your eyes. The command in this case means literally look and see what's right in front of you. What's right in front of you? Jesus is calling his disciples to have missional eyes, to see spiritually what's going on in front of him. Missional eyes is part of the growth of following Jesus. So Jesus calls us to really see what's happening. He's calling us to pay attention to what he is doing in relationships, in friendships, at school, at work with your grandkids, with your own kids. Look at what he is doing. Are you seeing them with spiritual eyes? As I say these things, I wonder if there's people, names, faces of friends that are far from God, and I wonder if Jesus is calling you in to see, I'm doing something here. I'm doing something that is life-changing 
and I'm calling you to be a part of it. Look at the harvest. Look at the harvest. I pray that we can invite them to come and see what Jesus is doing. Okay, that was scene two. So far, two scenes, one more scene is ahead of us, and it'll be a really quick one. Jesus says, come look at what I'm doing. Come look at who I am, and then come and see with what I'm doing. Behold the Lamb of God, look at the harvest. And now we get to the final uh, chapter, the final through, few verses of Matthew's gospel. It's a very famous thing, what we call the Great Commission. It's in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Let me read it for us. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to you, to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. All right. This is last week Pete said, hey, we're going to do an inter- inter- interactive church. We're going to do interactive church for our last point right here. How many commands are in this passage? If you can guess. You can put your hands up or you can yell out the number. How many can't? Three, seven. What What'd you say? Seven? Fifteen. No. <laughs> seventeen. Holy cow. Three, I got what? Three to seventeen. Four. Anyone else? Three. Okay. One. All right. The correct answer is two. I don't have any prizes anyway, so it doesn't matter. You didn't win anything. It doesn't matter. The, co- the correct is two. Now, it was a trick question because you can't see the Greek. You don't know what's going on in the grammar here. In the grammar, in the Greek, there's two, to, two, two specific commands. One is make disciples. That's the command. Make disciples. The go and the baptizing, the teaching, those are all participles. So it's like Jesus is saying, as you are going in your day-to-day lives, when you go to school, when you go to work, when you're in your homes, in your families, make disciples. That's the command. The second one is this. Behold, take notice, Ido, I am with you. I'm with you. You're not doing this by yourself. You're not going out there on the battlefield alone as the commander is waiting back at the command center. No, the commander is ahead of you. He's calling you to come with him. He's in the mix. He's in the dirt. Jesus, here we see what is true about Jesus and is true about our God. Our God is a missionary God. He is the first and the primary missionary. He is on mission, and he's calling you to join him. He's calling him to join them. But our problem is sometimes we think when we hear Jesus say, follow me, and I will make you a fisherman, we think follow me means learn as much as we can about Jesus. Read scripture, go to church, and we stop there. But he said, follow me, and I will make you. So that it is in the following of Jesus, in the stepping out, in the doing the things that are sometimes uncomfortable and we're not too sure about, where we actually need God to show up 
in the lives of our friends and our family and our kids. And we say, God, help me. And you take that step of discipleship, and he says, I'm making you a fisher of men in the process. It's we follow the master on the go. Discipleship doesn't happen just in a classroom. It's on the go with Jesus. It has been said that we here in the West are educated far beyond our obedience. And Jesus says, I'm going ahead of you. I'm going with you. So as you make disciples, look, I'm right here. Listen to me. Keep in step with my spirit as you walk towards this life of discipleship. And that's what he's saying to us. It's like Jesus is saying, let's go. Let's go together. So church, let's go. What are we waiting for? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you, Jesus, that you are present, that we can look to you and behold you, Jesus. You have invited us to come and see And as we stick close to you, as we stick near you, as we grow in you, Lord, you're teaching us to look off of our lives to the lives of others, to the spiritual activity and process and and movement that you are doing in this world right in front of us to the harvest. And by doing so, you're lifting our eyes off of this distracting uh, culture that we live in and putting us on mission with you. And that's the truth. Look, you are with us. You are in the dirt. You're in the hard things in our lives. And you're making us fishers of people. Thank you, Lord. And may it be that we are a community on mission with you. In Jesus' name, amen.